jump right in uh, to the to the message portion, and I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to share uh, with you as you're watching, wherever you may be watching. You know, we've been talking about the early church the last little while, and talking about the foundation of faith the past uh, number of weeks, and. What we realize is that the early church wasn't a place. It wasn't a place. It was, it was a people. It was a gathering of Jesus followers. And that, that word gathering is important. And so the church today is the same thing. Gatherings of Jesus follower wherever, it, wherever, it, um, wherever you may find yourself. Uh, we saw that they would gather in the temple. Uh, they would gather in homes. We see in Paul's letters that he wrote to the, to the people um, gathering in uh, Priscilla and Aquila's. Uh, and the people, the, the, the church that's meeting in your home. To others, he wrote as well on Philemon. You can find it. They talk about them gathering in the temple for, for worship. It didn't, it didn't matter where they met, but rather what they did when they met. And so we've been talking about this the last number of weeks, and I'm going to bring it up again because I, I hope you know it. And so I f- feel free to play along at home and just uh, shout it out. We'll give you, the, um, we'll give you a little bit of a, of a hint here. But the early church was devoted to something. You know, what they did when they gathered together, they were devoted to a few things. And so uh, just, just shout it out as I point to it. They were devoted to prayer. prayer. They were devoted to fellowship and, and eating together. And they were devoted to the word, the apostles teaching. Those are the things that they devoted themselves to. They were, they were all in on those things. And, and as a result of that, they would live out Jesus' command to love one another. They, would, they learned how to do that well as a result of this being together. And so the church is meant to gather and we encourage that in any way that we possibly can. And we're grateful that... Um, so many of you are finding ways to, to be the church. And so thankful, thankful for that. Because uh, like we said in the last little bit, every part, I hope you shout it out at home, every part plays a part. Every part plays a part. Just like the musicians here uh, uh, tonight, they, they each have a portion of the music that they play to make one song, one sound. And, and uh, it's the same with his body. Like we were saying that your foundation of faith, it matters. Maybe you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm just a bass player or I'm, you know, I'm just the drummer or whatever. I, I, I just do sound at the back or I just watch. It's bigger than that. We said, you know, I asked this question. I don't know if I asked it live online last time, so I'm going to ask it t- uh, tonight, but what if, what if the whole church across the world, if their faith level was at the same level as yours, how strong would the church be? <laughs> That's a good question, right? We think, oh, yeah, like I, I want to be a part of the vibrant church, part of like the, the, the God's move on the planet. And I'm really happy if everyone else does it. But every part plays a part. None of us want to be that weakest link. And so the encouragement has been over the last little while, build that faith foundation in your life. Build that faith foundation. So I was listening to a series by Andy Stanley. Uh, I think it's called Faithful. You can listen to it. But he was talking about some of the things that grow your faith or that build that foundation of faith in your life. One of those would be, he mentioned practical teaching. Uh, and so like we said last week with James, where James was saying, it's not just that you hear the word, but it's what do you do with it? Because there's this action involved in faith. And that's one of those things that when you say, I'm going to do what God, what I, what I read in his word to do. It's like you build this, this faith, you exercise that muscle. And then, uh, you know, the, an, another thing that builds that foundation of faith is simply this, personal ministry to others, where you're actually serving other people, using what God has given you to serve others. And so uh, our text we've been looking at the last little while is Ephesians 4, verse 16. I just want to read it again as we begin. It says this, he, speaking of Jesus, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. He's talking about the church. He makes it fit together 
perfectly. As each part does its own special part, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body's healthy and growing and full of love. As each part helps the other parts grow. And so we, like we said, every part plays a part. And we've added something to that. Every part plays a part, but where do I start? Every part plays a part, but where do I start? And that may be the question that you have. As you think about Jesus, uh, as he was teaching the crowds, you, we see that often. He, he reserved his most intense training for his 12 disciples. He wanted those guys to be like ready to, to make more disciples and that those disciples would make more disciples. And so what he taught to the crowds, and sometimes they didn't understand, he didn't take that for granted. He would make sure that the disciples understood what he was talking about because he wanted them to be able to pass that on. And those disciples did make other disciples who made other disciples. And that's our mission as a church as well. We don't want to build crowds. We want disciples who make more disciples. And, and you are a part of that process. If you're watching tonight as a Jesus follower, you are, we, we call you to be a disciple, but in part of that is that you would also make other disciples as a result. Uh, last week I asked, you know, in our, some of our small groups, you know, what was Jesus' most famous miracle? I was like, I think they're going to say the resurrection of the dead, but most of them went with something else, and many of them went with the feeding of the 5,000. And it is a pretty famous uh, miracle, and I actually want to take a look at that one um, tonight. Uh, the four gospel writers, they all talk about it. They all add little different parts, and so, for some they think, oh, you know, that, that maybe, I don't know if it's true, but um, as a result, as, like, the stories don't all line up perfectly. But, uh, you know, as I was thinking about that, like, I remember my wedding, and uh, I, I don't remember all of the stuff that happened at my wedding, but our photographer was going around taking pictures. And afterwards, when we got all the pictures back, I was looking at the pictures like, oh, I never saw that happen. And I never saw that happen. And I didn't, I didn't even see that person there. But I have photo evidence because someone saw them. And it's the same thing here as, as um, Mark heard from Peter what it was like to be there, as Matthew and John who were there, uh, as Luke who asked anybody who was there said, hey, tell me about it. They all gave their little bits and little pieces. One saw this, one saw that. And as, and, and as we get that, we get this beautiful crafting of this, this story as a result. And it's more than a story. This is something that actually happened. And we're going to look at John's account and a little bit from Matthew as well. Matthew actually tells us that, that Jesus had just heard some terrible news. He had just heard that Herod, the governor of, of that uh, area, had just executed his cousin and friend, a man named John the Baptist. And uh, Jesus hears the news and he's, he's heartbroken by it. And, you know, he goes off with his disciples and says to be alone. You know, the assumption is that he's going to grieve. He's going just to spend some time on his own with his heavenly father. And so that's kind of where this story starts. Here's where John chapter 6, verse 1. If you have your Bible, grab it. Especially if you're in one of those small groups, grab your paper Bible. Flip those pages to John chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what, here's what it says. John writes this. It says, after this, after he had heard about... Um, John the Baptist's uh, execution. It says, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 2, it says, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. The, the crowds always wanted to be where Jesus was because he, he was doing these amazing things. And so as Jesus is in the boat sailing, the sea is not that, not that large. The people on the, on the side, on the, on the shore, they see him and they're like, well, we'll just go where he's going. And they follow him. Yeah, I still see him. I think he's going a little further. And as they're going, they, they, they go through these towns on this, on this um, seashore and people are like, Hey, where are you guys going? We're following Jesus. Like he's going to land somewhere, some point. And, and they gather along others. And it says this crowd grows as they get to this place. And, and then finally Jesus boat lands and 
sure enough, doesn't the crowd just begin to get around that little porch or wherever that is? And, and they start arriving. And Jesus, like, you know, in that mode of being um, grieving, just has such compassion on that crowd. I thought about that. I thought, man, those would be the times where be like, I don't, I'm peopled out. You know, just give me a break. I'm peopled out. And he's, he doesn't. He begins to teach them and realizes that they, they're there because they're hungry for, for, uh, to, to know truth. And he begins to teach. And he teaches all afternoon. Matthew says this, Matthew 14, verse 15. He says this, that evening, the disciples came to him, to Jesus, and said, this is a remote place, Jesus. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. They're basically saying, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. We want you to send them away so we can get back to like, let's have a barbecue. And then, you know, we came here to be alone, remember? Like, send them away so they can buy food. And Jesus' response to them is this. And if you went to Sunday school, you know this. He says, but Jesus said, that's not necessary. You guys feed them. And you know, when you see this, it's, it's, it's them saying, hey, we see this need. And Jesus, we want you to do something. And Jesus' response to them is like, well, no, I want you to do something. Well, you know, you guys feed them. And I can just picture them, like the 12 of them, just looking at each other. Like, what, wait, what, like does he have any idea how many people are here? Like, like my kids always say, like, wait, what? Do you ever have that feeling where God like prompts you to do something that just seems so much bigger than you're able to handle? You ever have that? It's like this, this thought comes in. You're like, God, like I, I hate seeing what's happening right now. And, and, and my heart's breaking for that situation. God, would you do something? And then all of a sudden you feel this prompting on the inside. It's like, no, hey, why don't you do something? And you're like, I am, I'm praying. I'm asking you to do something. But you feel this prompting to do something bigger than you. John carries on in verse 5, chapter 6. Jesus saw this huge crowd coming, and he turns to Philip, and he asks him, Philip, he's like, where, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? You know, he was testing Philip, it says, for he already knew what he was going to do. And this is not like a negative test or like a temptation type of thing. This was just simply one of those things of, of Jesus is like, he's given these guys this, this, the, the intense training. He's like, I want to find out how much of it have they picked up. Because Jesus already knew what God wanted to do in that moment. Because he is God. Jesus already knew what God wanted to do. But it's this great opportunity to just see where, where are these disciples at? And so he asked them the question, Philip, where can we And notice that. He says, we. Where can we buy bread for all these people? For months, Jesus has been teaching them about the kingdom. His way of doing things and saying, you know, you guys have learned certain things, but you've got to think differently if you're going to follow me. You've lived your whole life thinking things through a a human perspective. You look at things through the eyes of men, but he says, God's kingdom is different. He says, I want you to look at people and situations and everything through through the eyes of God, the way that he sees them. He, he would tell them, you guys thought that, that sick people stay sick, but you've seen differently with me. You thought that people who were born blind stay blind, but you saw something different with me. You thought that God just loves the people of Israel. And then remember that time we went through Samaria and they're like, you, you learned that God loves the world. You were raised to think that limits limit people. But has that caused you to think that limits limit God? It's all of this stuff going on as he asked Philip that question. Philip, where can we, where can we buy food to feed all these people? You know, Matthew would later write that Jesus had told them that with God, all things are possible. And they said, hey, that, that's impossible. He's like, no, no, no. With God, all things are possible. 
And it's Philip's the one who gets called out. But they're all, they're all there. They're, they all have the chance to answer this question. And Philip's response is in verse 7. Philip replied, even if we, because the question was, Philip, where can we buy enough food for these people? Philip's replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. You know, some of the translations say 200 denarii. It says, if we had 200 denarii, we wouldn't have enough. Uh, a denarii or denarius is one day's wage. So he's like, if we had 200 days worth of wages, so that's like 33 weeks of us working. Uh, and if, I don't know how to do the math, be about like eight months or so. And if it was all 12 of them working, it'd be a little less. But it was, he's basically saying, there's a, there's a lot of work here. Jesus, even if, we, even if we did all that work, we don't have enough. And I think Jesus says, you know, you're still looking at human perspectives. And I have these two words in yellow here, we and enough. I, th- I, think, I think as they're sitting there, Jesus may have just thought in his mind, who, 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 Philip, who are you thinking of when you say we? Like, are you thinking just like we, the 12 disciples, we? Or are you thinking we, the 12 disciples, plus Jesus, plus the Son of God, plus the Messiah? And I wonder if they sat around the circle and maybe thinking, you know, yeah, we plus Jesus is different than just we. Because remember that time? Remember that time we thought that storm was going to kill us? We couldn't paddle our way through that storm. We, we were going down. And then Jesus is in the boat and he just stops everything. So we would have drowned, but with him, we didn't get dead. Remember that time? Remember that time we tried to cast out that demon for that dad? His son had that demon. Remember we tried to cast that out and we couldn't do it. Like we just, everything we tried. And then what happened? Jesus showed up and boom, out of here. It was like, we plus Jesus is different than we. And I, maybe you can just see their, the wheels turning. And then I think Jesus may have said, yeah, okay. And when you said enough, when you mentioned the word enough, what, what do you mean by enough? Like how much is enough? And I wonder if they sat there and they're like their brain's spinning again. Yeah, you're right. We plus Jesus is different than we. And he, he doesn't need much for, to, for it to be. Remember that water into wine? Remember, remember all we had was a bunch of rinse buckets? And he like makes the best wine any of us have ever tasted? Yeah, you remember that time where he said, cast your nets on the other side of the boat? And we're like, ugh, carpenters. You know, we've been fishing all night, Jesus, with these nets, and they have not caught a thing. But as you say, we'll throw them over the other side. And man, that was the biggest catch we ever got. I think as it's just kind of going through their minds, Andrew steps up and says in verse 8, Andrew, who is Simon's Peter's brother, he spoke up. Well, um, there's, a, there's a young boy here. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. And that human perspective kicks in immediately. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Yet, okay, Jesus, we got, we, we got one lunchbox here, but that's not enough, is it? That's not enough. That's not enough. Right? You know, I think that Andrew may have been there wondering, like Jesus just told us to go feed them. And here we got five loaves and two fish. We got two sandwiches. Like, I'm not going to... Jesus, please don't make me walk out of this hungry crowd with two sandwiches and say, here, everybody, dinner's, dinner's on. He's like, send James or John. Like, those cats will do anything. Like, but don't send me. I, 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 don't, I don't like where this is going. And I see Jesus just simply slows it down. It's like, all right, boys, let me tell you what we're going to do. He didn't even tell me. You just all failed the test. But here's what we're going to do. What we're going to do. John 6, verse 10, Jesus says, tell everyone, sit down. 
And so they all sat down on the grassy slopes, and the men alone numbered about 5,000. They didn't even count the women and children, uh, but there was well over 5,000 people. And then Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks to God, and he distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, every one of those 5,000 men, every one of their wives and their children, every teenager was full. Like, that's miraculous just on its own. But every one was full. Jesus told his disciples, now go gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And so they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 more baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. They start out with a lunchbox and they end up feeding a crowd and they end up with way more leftover at the end. Can you imagine what it was like to be there? You're like, well, I sort of can, because if you're raised in the Dutch family, you're like, yeah, you know, we used to have people over, and then if lots of people came, more than you were ready for, you just like, just add water to the Dutch soup, just water it down, we can feed the whole clan, you know, it uh, doesn't matter how many kids they got. But we're not talking about watered down Dutch soup. We're talking about, like, these people were filled to the full. Can you imagine what it felt like? You know, the question that I have, can you imagine, uh, the truth is, you really don't need to imagine. You actually have the opportunity to experience it. They say, wait, what? Because Jesus' point and purpose in this wasn't just that he would feed 5,000. If that was the case, he just would have done it. But he asked the disciples, he's like, I want you guys to be a part of this. I want you to experience something amazing. I want you to experience God working through your life. And maybe for you, it's not going to be feeding 5,000. But for you and for me, it can be the experience of God working through your life. Why? Because every part plays a part. Do you remember? You know, maybe like the disciples, you actually see huge needs. You see big things that, that, that grab your heart. Maybe for you, it's, you know, it's, um, it's people. It's age groups of people. Maybe for you, you're just drawn to like the, the kids right now where they're going through so, so much difficulty and mental health issues and not being able to see their friends. And you're like, that breaks my heart. Maybe for you, it's the, um, it's the young adults or the youth. And you're like, man, like, I see the stuff that they're going through, and I, man, I just wish that I could do something to help them. Maybe for you, it's your coworkers. You're like, man, they just seem to have no hope, and I really wish I could do something to help them. Maybe it's marriages you see breaking around you. Or maybe it's the seniors who feel like they're locked in. Maybe it's things, bigger things like world hunger or, or addictions that are out of whack in people that you know. Or maybe it's like this burden for homeless people. But something, you see something, and you're like, man, Man, God, would you do something? And that's the question. What, what moves you? What, what breaks your heart or grabs your heart? What is it that you see? What does you feel like he's prompting you to do? And I think this is a really important thing to remember. What's he prompting you to do? Because sometimes we can come up with things that we think, this is a good idea and I'm going to do this. And now I'll pray about it. God, would you bless this and make it, make it work? Because this was my really good idea. He's like, that's not what I'm asking. He's like, it's when he prompts you to do something that you feel like you can't do, you know he's behind it because he's the one prompting you to do it. It's one of those tests. How much have they learned? Can they, can they trust me? Have they built that faith foundation? Maybe you're like the disciples and you feel things like, man, we don't have enough or I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm going to tell you that that is true. Without him, you're not enough. And without him, you don't have enough. Not for what he wants to do. But with him, you and him are, are a majority. With him, you can do everything that he's prompted you to do. And how does that happen? He's like, God, I feel this prompting. I don't feel like I can do it or I have enough, but I'll do what I know to do and I'll trust you to do the rest. 
God, I'll give you the lunchbox and, and I'll trust you to do the rest. This is all I got is the lunchbox. This is all that's in my hand. I'll let you do the rest. Because every part plays a part, but where do I start? My question is this. If every part includes every person watching and everyone in this room, if every part includes you, simply ask you this question. What's already in your lunchbox? What's already in your hand? What's already in your hand to meet the need that you see? And maybe you're saying like, well, (laughs) well, that's not enough. That's not enough. I want to read this poem to you. It's an old poem. But it simply goes like this. I don't even know who the author is, so I changed a few letters in it too just to bring it up to, to the current day. But it says this, whose hands? A basketball in my hands is worth about 19 bucks. But a basketball in LeBron James' hands is worth about 33 million. Why? Because it depends on whose hands it's in. A hockey stick in my hands is worth about 100 bucks. A hockey stick in Austin Matthews' hands is about 33 million. Why? It depends on whose hands it's in. A tennis racket in my hand is useless. But a tennis racket in Venus Williams is a Wimbledon championship. Why? Because it depends on whose hands it's in. A rod in my hand might keep a wild animal away, but a rod in Moses' hands could split a mighty sea. Why? Because it depends on whose hands it's in. A slingshot in my hand is a kid's toy, but in David's hands it was a giant slayer. Why? Because it depends on whose hands it's in. Two fish and five loaves of bread in my hands is a couple of fish sandwiches, but in two fish and five loaves in the hands of Jesus feeds thousands. Because it depends on whose hands it's in. Nails in my hand might produce a birdhouse, but nails in Jesus' hand will produce salvation for the entire world. Because it depends on whose hands it's in. You know, as you see now, it ends with this. It depends, on, it depends on whose hands it's in. So put your concerns, your worries, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your families, your relationships in God's hand because it depends on whose hands it's in. And I'd like to add one thing to that. Whatever's in your hand, whatever's in your lunchbox, you don't need a lot if you're willing to put it into his hands. You don't need a lot if you're willing to put it into his hands. You know, Jesus said, had taught and would continue to teach this principle all throughout his ministry. You know, he had, he had this one time where he sat in the temple and he's watching people give their offerings. And he sees this widow come and she just puts two little pennies in. It's actually one sixty-fourth of a denarius is what the amount of money. So about 12 minutes worth of work. Like my kids, when they're working for me, they're like, every 10 minutes, Dad, how much have I made so far, right? So, I mean, basically after 10 minutes, the how, whatever you make in an hour, just 10 minutes, that's all she had. And it says she gave everything she had. It was nothing compared to a lot of the big offerings. But Jesus pointed her out and said, it was her. Her gift is, is the one that, that mattered the most because she gave out of, out of her lack. You know, her little, her little bit, her little thing that she had has gone a long way. It's gone through decades and centuries to reach this time. It's traveled thousands of miles, her story, to encourage us even right now. Why? Because it didn't take much. It's just whose hands she put it in. You know, Jesus said that his whole kingdom is like that. He he described it like a mustard seed. That's the smallest seed in the garden. But once it's planted and it grows, it becomes massive. He's like, our faith is like that too. It starts out small, but it grows if you'll continue to allow it to grow. And his kingdom, you know, I think about that. The whole kingdom was like this. It started pretty small. Matthew 11 Verse 13 to 31 is where you can find it. But he says, you know, it just starts small. This ragtag bunch of, you know, fishermen and whoever else. They, they be, they're the Jesus followers. They're not many of them. 
You know, there's 12 of them and they wander around. Well, that actually goes down to 11 when Jesus is giving them the great commission and saying, go out into all the world. He's like, now I'm sending you out. You guys have been trained to trust me now. Go, go make disciples. Well, that 11 on the hill went out and they, they did exactly what Jesus did, told them to do. There was 120 of them by the time they were waiting in the upper room, waiting for the power of Holy Spirit. And when Holy Spirit came on them, there was no stopping them. And day one, 3,000 more were added to the church. And thousands upon thousands and hundreds of thousands would be added to this gathering of Jesus followers all throughout the Roman Empire and the world. And then John, John, uh, the, the, the one who was so close to Christ, as he, as he had a chance later to glimpse into heaven to see the grand finale of what was going to happen to this fledgling little group of, of Jesus followers that started so small, but in his hands would become something great. Here's how he writes it. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John says this, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language. They were standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Can you picture it? Can you just picture millions upon millions of people, too many to count, standing before the throne room of God? And it says, and all of them were clothed in white robes, and they held palm branches in their hand. In verse 10, it says, they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. You know, a crowd too great to count, all around there for that same reason, from every nation, from every tribe, every race, every tongue. There was no separation, no division. It was, they were one. They were one. So they had been through some great tribulation, some great suffering. They had been through a lot on this planet, but they stood there shouting out victory. Salvation is ours because of what Christ has done. But all of that, you know, someday, someday, we're not going to just be reading it through this. We'll be there. We'll see it. We'll be a part of it. At least I will. Will you? All of that started with something small. And I want to close with this thought. The question today is this. What about us? What about me? And what about you watching? What about you in the room? What about you doing media and sound? What about you today? What is he prompting you right now? What do you feel that prompting on the inside is right now? Maybe for you, it is simply this, that you would truly put your life into his hands. Because maybe for you, Christianity has been this religious ritual that you do. Maybe it's like you think, oh man, I think if I pray, I'm sending prayers out. I'm sending out good vibes. And I'm hoping that, you know, karma or good things happen in my life as a result. That God has no interest in that. He doesn't want what you do for him unless he's got your heart for him. He's reaching out to you today. You know, my question, I guess, would be this. Will you be a part of that vast crowd someday? The ones who said, we trusted Christ for salvation, not our own, not, nothing of our own selves, but we, we trusted him. Maybe for you, you've walked away from Christ, but my question is this. Will you turn back to God tonight? Or will you continue to turn your back on him? The writer of Hebrews simply said that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You've got, if, you, if you want him, you've got to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You can't do it without trusting him. There is no other way. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and simply said this in Ephesians 2, verse uh, 8 and 9, that by grace you've been saved through faith, through trusting in him. It's not of works. Nothing, so There's nothing that you've done that you can boast about. It has nothing to do with that. It's simply about trusting in him. And so my question for you is, is your life in his hands? I love that song we sing. My life is in your hands. I trust it all. I trust it all. Is that you right now? And then finally, to the Jesus followers here, to the Jesus followers listening, maybe for you, he's prompting something in your heart. 
I meant to mention something earlier. You know, we, we, as Jesus followers, we notice the things in our world that we like, it breaks our hearts to see and we, we pray, God, would you do something? There's a guy named Matt West who wrote a song called Do Something. And he just simply says this in the lyrics. I woke up this morning. I saw a world full of trouble now. I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever going to turn around? He wrote this years ago. He says, so I turned my eyes to heaven and I thought, God, why don't you do something? He says, well, I just couldn't bear the thought of it. People living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. And I even shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you do something? And he replied by saying, I did. I made you. (laughs) I love that thought. Because what he causes you to see, he actually wants to use you to be a part of making a difference in that thing. And maybe it's huge, but that's how God deals with huge problems in the world. Through people like me and like you. So the question is, what's on your heart? What breaks your heart? What moves you tonight? You know, I remember feeling this oftentimes, but I remember feeling when I was a teenager that God wanted me to speak to youth and to share truth from his word with youth. And you know the problem? Problem was I was scared of everyone. (laughs) I was terrified of talking in front of people and I was terrified of people. Those are not two great qualities to be a public speaker. I was like, God, I can't do this. And he's like, I know you can't, but with me, you can. And I want you to. I'm like, God, I'm terrified. And then my youth pastor called and said, hey, hey, can you preach at one of the youth preach nights? And I was like, yes. And everything in me was saying no, but I was like, I'm going to, God, I'm going to do it. And I wrote a message on fear because I knew I was going to need it. And I went up there to speak and I got up there and I looked at all the faces around that room of all my peers. And all of a sudden, like, heaven forbid, doesn't a tear start running down my cheek? I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Don't cry. Don't cry in front of the cute girls. Don't, don't cry in front of all these people. And, and, and I couldn't stop it. The other eye starts leaking like crazy and I'm wiping away. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I can't talk. Then the snot starts running down. It's like running down in my mouth, my lips. I'm blubbering as I'm trying to speak. I'm like, I just, you don't have to be afraid, afraid of any, anybody. Any, you have to be afraid. It was brutal. I encourage people every time. You know what? Your first time won't be as bad as mine. I promise you. If you feel God prompting you to speak, just do it. But out of that mess, out of that mess, God's taken my life on a journey where I've had the opportunity to speak into people's hearts and lives everywhere and allow him to speak through me in all kinds of ways and times as a result. I know who I was, so he's the only one who ever can get glory for anything good that comes out of that. But he was prompting. He was prompting because he wanted to do something through it. I didn't have much in the lunchbox. I didn't have much in my hand, but he wanted to use it. What about you? And then finally, this question, have you considered whose benefit is on the other side of your obedience? Whose benefits on the other side of your obedience? That day, there was 5,000 plus people who benefited from the obedience of that little boy who brought the lunch from the the obedience of those disciples to say, okay, (laughs) Jesus, we're going to work with you and go and do this. Even after all of that, who's on the other end of it? You know, I know some of the stories here, drummer Sandy, we were talking about it last week. I told you in the message. Um, Last week, we were talking about how did you ever end up, you know, as a Jesus follower? And he said, there's this guy named Mitch who invited him to youth group years ago. Aren't you glad he did? 
There was that prompting to just push Mitch to do that. You know, for myself this week, I was delivering gift cards to single moms. And then somebody says, I got frozen chickens, you know, can you deliver those for me? And we got people cheering in the back, you know, because they were one of the moms who got, got these chickens. It was like, this is what we have in our hand. This is in our lunchbox. What can we do with this? It was that prompting. I remember a woman named Lorraine who had this prompting to do something for the kids in Guatemala. She's like, I don't know what to do, but I can make banana bread. And she began to raise money for, uh, for Guatemala, $1,000 worth of banana bread. This week, maybe you would have saw Penny getting on a bike. It's what she had in her hand to bike from her house to Brantford to raise money for people who are in hospice. Why? Because God prompted that into her heart. What is it? What is it? You know, for people being discipled, maybe tonight simply because you opened your home for them to come in and be a part of it. People may be growing in their knowledge of who Jesus is and knowledge of the word because you decided you would honor that prompting and follow the prompting to lead a Bible study. Maybe for you, it's people are experiencing the presence of Jesus because you answered the call where he said, I want you to lead worship. I want you to learn how to play guitar so you can lead others into that moment of worship with me. What is it? What do you see? What do you see? What have you been praying about God? Would you do this? Because I believe tonight he's simply asking, what's in your lunchbox? What's in your hand? And are you willing to put it in mine? Because we got a world to change. Can we pray? Father, thank you for the truth of this. And thank you for your power at work in our lives. That it goes beyond anything we can imagine. Lord, thank you for your love for people. Your compassion for people still today. For those feeling your call and drawing on their hearts to come to you for forgiveness and for freedom to find love and purpose and hope. Lord, I pray that, that they would experience you in a very real way right now. Holy Spirit, may they hear your voice loud and clear. And I pray that for us too, as your followers, as your spirit lives in us. Lord, would you help us to hear your voice, to consider what you're causing us to see, and to consider the reason for it. Lord, to look at what we have and to be able to turn that over to you that your kingdom might come and your will would be done in and through our lives. Love the chance to work with you this week. May you be glorified in every part of it. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, before we finish here, wherever you may be watching, I just would encourage you with this, especially if you're in a group, would you take a couple minutes to talk about this with those around you? Like we've said, this isn't, a, isn't just a, um, one of those things where you get to be a spectator and then you, you're done. Because you actually have something that someone else needs. It's amazing how after every week when I spend time in, the, in these small groups and these small gatherings that I learn from those around the table. And I, and I would encourage you to do that for the others in the room. So here's the questions. What jumped out at you today? What, uh, what, what made you think or what, what just grabbed you like, ah, I got to think more about that. What was that? Would you be willing to share that with others? Second, what, what moves you? Like what, what grabs your heart? What do you see around you? Like, man, that, that, that gets me. It doesn't get everybody, but it, but it gets me. It breaks my heart. What is that? Because I believe that's God at work in your heart for a purpose and for a reason. And then third, what's in your lunchbox? What's in your hand? What do you already have on the inside that you've looked at and thought, well, that's not enough. I can't do that because that's not enough. But you feel that prompting on the inside to, to do it anyway, to use it anyway. What is that? And then finally, what do you think God's prompting you to do right now that you can only accomplish with him? What do you feel like, man? Like, God, like, I, oh, it feels impossible, but I'm pretty sure it's you. What is that? And what are you going to do with that?
What are you going to do with that? And then finally, if you have the opportunity, would you pray with one another out loud? <laughs> I had some, some people I met with this week. And uh, after we were done chatting, I was like, hey, you guys want to pray together? And they're like, yep. And I was like, okay, you start. And their eyes just went like this. It's, I would just say, for you guys going to gather in prayer, take that line. That way they start. And uh, they'll be better for it. And so will you. And I would encourage you uh, to go this week. Make disciples. Be devoted to his word. Be devoted to prayer. And be devoted to gathering together as his church. Our world needs it. We will see you next time.